We are Anthony and Danielle. We own a pet food store in Columbus, Ohio called Fangs and Fur that is focused on educating pet owners on feeding food nature intended for our pets. You can find us on Instagram at Fangs and Fur Pets or Facebook at Fangs and Fur. If you want to send in a question for Anthony to answer at the end of each episode, message us through our website at fangsfur.com. And if you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast, follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and leave a review. This is the Fangs and Fur Podcast. The Feeding Equation. We know now what to feed, but now let's learn how to feed your pet. On today's episode, we have Carol Smea, owner and creator of Mind Pet Plotter based in Chicago. We're really excited for this because I will never forget about, gosh, two and a half years ago before Fangs and Fur, um, our local shop here in Columbus opened. Uh, Anthony, me, our two kids, my mother-in-law, we all went to Chicago for a pet food summit, um, basically for us to explore the city and Anthony to increase his knowledge and network with everyone. And uh, on the way home, Anthony was so captivated by Carol and her presentation and her pet platters. And I think it was the first definitive thing he was so excited to sell in our store. Um, it's really taken off. It's become a top seller and something Anthony, Anthony truly believes in. So they will have a great conversation today. Stay tuned until the end of the episode where we answer a customer's question. Your dog or cat is a member of your family. You want the very best for each and every member of your family, and that extends right down to the food that they eat. For over 30 years, Northwest Naturals has been manufacturing the highest quality raw frozen pet foods in Portland, Oregon. For you, the pet owner, Northwest Naturals comes in convenient packaging, easy to open, easy to store, and easy to thaw and serve to your pets. Quality ingredients, food safety, and the highest standards for manufacturing practices are what make Northwest Naturals the best complete and balanced raw food for your pet. Find out more in our podcast show notes. Yeah, I'll never forget, like, coming out of that conference and just being your presentation I was just, it did I was just like wow like I and it was my favorite presentation the the whole summit and there's and that's nothing against the other ones there are some really good ones but you know there's your presentation is just something I had never even thought about before you know all the other oh, stuff I was so appreciate that yeah yesterday. well it was so focused on you know what to feed our dogs and and different you know um, issues there but no one like I've never thought about how you know, you know, as, as far as you kind of talk about, we'll get into this, but the natural, uh, or the feeding equation, you know, you don't talk, you don't think about how we're supposed to, you always think about what you're feeding, but not how you're feeding. And yeah, I couldn't buy the platters fast enough. I remember it being like, I got to get the first one out of this <laughs> room before they sell out so I can get, so I can get some, um, which I've used literally every single day. Um, the same platters, by the every way, day. for two and a half years. Yeah. Um, since, um, my dogs love them. Tell us, so Carol, tell us like just a little bit, a little bit about yourself, because I know you have a, a pretty awesome background, and um, kind of how my my pet platter came to be. Absolutely. Well, thanks so much for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. And um, my getting into the pet industry uh, was sort of a roundabout. I my academic career always focused on psychology and sociology. And I was so in love with it, earned my PhD, but I got into the human food industry. And I used my background uh, understanding why people make food choices and how they make them. Worked with global food companies, um, government agencies, and just really immersed myself in, in food. But then one day, uh, we had a little dog uh, named Pip, a little 15-pound Havanese, who used to let out the most horrendous belch after she ate, like it was coming from a 300-pound football player. (laughs) In fact, we could not have anybody over when she was eating, because when people heard it, they had tears streaming down their cheeks. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) They couldn't believe this precious little pup would, would let out a burp like that. So well, especially a Havanese, like such a little proper little dog, you know? <laughs> exactly, exactly. But she was very proud of it, Anthony. Oh, I'm I sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> They're a proud breed. They are. So um, one day I was uh, making chicken breasts for Pip, and there were scraps and juices left over, and my daughter Hannah said, 
Mom, don't throw that away. Why don't you put it on um, the floor for Pip? So I put it on the floor, and for the next 15 to 20 minutes, I watched this dog absolutely, absolutely immersed and circling, licking. And after she was done, she looked up at me and was licking her lips like this was the best thing. So when my husband had come home, I told him, he said, oh, my God, Eureka. And from there, we understood there was something going on here. There was a better way to feed our pets. So I dove into um, basically looking at how wolves and wild cats ate in the wild to understand instinctive eating habits. And by uh, observing how they eat, talking to zookeepers, working with wildlife professionals, I realized that we had taken away their natural feeding ecology of hunting, exploring, and killing carcasses in the wild to this receptacle called a bull. And that was the journey that led us to developing the pet platter. I remember from your uh, presentation, you talking about, uh, I think it's Brian Bailey. Um, yeah. Taming Their Wild, I think is the name of the book, which I've recommended so many people now. Because um, I obviously instantly bought that book as soon as you said that. And, um, but he, he kind of, just going off the, you know, the wolf inside our dogs, you know, understanding, mm -hmm. understanding that they, they do have an inner wolf and the, and the, the sooner we kind of understand that and, and also appreciate that the happier both, you know, we are and the dog is, but yeah, like it's, you know, we make this uh, correlation a lot on the show that, you know, the wolf dogs are very, very similar to, to gray wolves as far as their physiology and their anatomy. You know, I think you, you talked in your presentation too, like how closely, you know, their DNA is less than 0.2% um, and a difference, but they can also produce viable offspring together, which is even more kind of telling. It's really amazing because I don't think people realize that uh, the, they share DNA up to 99.9% .9 depending on the breed. Mm -hmm. and, and if you've ever seen a wolf dog, you would be hard-pressed to tell the difference between a wolf dog and an actual wolf. Mm -hmm. And the fact that they are capable of mating and actually delivering offspring shows you how closely connected that they really are. Yeah, and I have a lot of people who are like, well, my chihuahua does not look like, <laughs> does not look like a wolf. And I'm like, yeah, I totally get that. I'm not saying it is a wolf, but what I'm saying is that, you know, your chihuahua also doesn't look like a, a German shepherd, you know, but that you consider them the same species. So it's just, um, it's, it's just, it's a really interesting topic, but I think it's something that's just like really important to kind of understand as far as, you know, when we're, when we're talking about how we're supposed to be, I mean, obviously we look to the gray wolf when we we're looking to try to find answers as far as what we're supposed to feed our dogs but we never really took into consideration like how, like how are these wild animals, how are the, you know, the wild canids eating in the wild, you know, how are they doing that? And that's where the beauty of this product kind of comes in. That's part of the feeding equation, right? It, it really is. And um, when you think about it, what really happened through evolution is you had the wolf in his, um, basically natural feeding environment. They were meat specialists. Um, they had very low predictability of resourcing their food. They typically went after large animals to be able to survive in the wild. There was a lot of risk involved in that, and they had to rely on each other in order to bring these animals down. They had no dependence on human beings at all. Then you went into the, the sort of free-range dogs where they got used to the scatter feeding, where they would do some hunting, but also relied on scraps that were left by people at, at different settlements. But then you come into today, and for the most 
hard dogs are eating a combination of meat, grain, and starch. Um, they typically have small meals throughout the day. They have very high predictability. They don't have to go hunting. It's all provided for them. There's little danger or risk. And the issue, though, is that they're highly dependent on us. So basically what's happened is our whole feeding ecology changed, and it sort of explains why we're seeing the patterns we do with dogs today. I don't mean to put you on the spot, but have you read Dr. Connor Brady's Feeding Dogs? Actually, I've I've spoken with Connor. Okay, nice. (laughs) And yeah, um, I I totally concur with his book. I have not gotten through all of it yet, but yes. Well, this yeah. one thing you said that reminds me of um, something uh, he pointed out. One, you know, he points out a lot of studies in his book, but one of the largest studies done on feral dogs, so not free range or you know dogs that are kind of wandering about all day and then coming home at night, you know, to a, a cooked meal or whatever. But dogs that are actually feral, like leaving completely on their own, away from humans, they did a huge study, like eighteen thousand dogs, and they did this with um, by looking at the stomach contents of these dogs. And it was 97% uh, animal matter in their diets. Absolutely. Which is, yeah, Absolutely. which is really fascinating. You know, if well, we're not involved. I can, I can even share another example with you. I know, you know, the, the issue is because dogs are domesticated, we think we've taken that instinctive animal component out of them. And what I like to go back is there was a case out uh, in California off the southern coast where um, a gentleman was hunting and um, fishing in his boat. He had his dog on the boat, mm-hmm. and somewhere along that way, the dog fell out, and mm-hmm. he couldn't find him. And for the most part, everybody thought he would obviously be dead. You know, how is he going to get anywhere? How is he going to survive? Quite the contrary. They found him, I believe it was six weeks later, on pretty much a deserted island. There was um, um, some, I don't know, sort of forestry people that had gone out to this island. They found the dog. And lo and behold, he survived on small rodents and fish. Yeah. Wow. And he was perfectly okay, jumped in the truck, (laughs) was ready to go home, but when forced to live on their own, and this this is a perfect example how instincts kick in. Mm -hmm. And to survive that amount of time without having any previous experience in that is a good demonstration of who they really are. Yeah. Absolutely. That's really, that's fascinating. So just for people that, um, cause I haven't really spelled this out, but the feet, when you, when we, when we talk about the feeding equation, um, so, you know, we talk about obviously what you feed, but when you combine what you feed plus how you feed, you kind of get the, the natural feeding experience. Um, right. which is kind of what, what I want to talk about today. Um, okay. but I kind of want to, well, I don't know. We can talk about the natural kind of what that looks like, or we can talk about, First, what that doesn't look like, a.k.a. the bowl and some slow feeders and things like that. Yeah, no, that's great. Um, I'd love to start out with the bowl because for the most part, people use it. And Mm -hmm. whenever I engage in conversation, I say, why do you use it? And really, it's out of habit. We've always done it. But for the most part, it's also convenient. People don't want dog food all over the place, so they just thought having sides keeps it in there and the dog can eat from it, and that's the convenience equation. The problem is that it is completely counterintuitive to how a dog needs to eat. For uh, The first point is the food is located in a small receptacle and it's piled high. The problem with that is dogs see the world through their nose. And when the food is piled high, they really can't go in and explore that food at all. And then the other issue becomes um, in order to get it out, they use the sides of the bowl 
as a collecting wall to shovel food in. So when people are experiencing my dog eats too fast, the reason is those sides shovel food and air in, which create problems with regurgitation, burping, gas, and even bloat. Um, the other thing is that they can't control the bowl. It's so small that anybody can kind of come in and get it. And there's absolutely no enjoyment, no interaction, no involvement. 95% of the wolf's time in the wild was spent exploring, hunting, and deconstructing carcasses to survive. And with the bowl, all of that takes place in a couple minutes flat, basically. Yeah, we, that's the biggest, I think the biggest thing for us is, um, from what, what we've seen with customers at the shop is just slowing them down and it, it helps so much with, we've had dogs that for some reason, no matter what food you feed them, they regurgitate. And this seems to alleviate almost, I mean, most of those cases, which is pretty astonishing. Just not having, just having that, that flat surface, that large surface area for them to work on, just really just, mm -hmm. that just naturally is going to slow them down. But then not having a wall to shovel food in their mouths and, and intake air at the same time is like, I, we don't even think about, I'd never thought about this until your presentation, but um, how important that is to alleviate. And, and that's one of the reasons why I, I oftentimes get questions about bloat. Mm -hmm. and whether or not uh, you should have elevated feeders. And I know this is one of the most controversial topics. Some mm -hmm. veterinarians will say uh, high, feed, uh, high feeders pre prevent it. Others say it will not. Um, but when you think about it, once you elevate bowls to a higher level, the, you're actually making it easier for the lower jaw to come in and shovel more food and air in. And I think that's the reason why the Purdue study, if people want to go to a academic study that was done for this, uh, elevated feeders actually increased 20% among um, large breeds and 52% among wow. giant breeds. Yeah. You had, a, you had a great video too, showing a dog eating out of a glass bowl that was raised that really shows, yeah. I mean, I know it's a podcast, we can't show videos, not yet, but it really shows how fast like a dog can eat food out of a bowl that's raised. And those are quite common. Those bowls are really common these days, more common than I thought. And one of the things to think about is dogs have a feast or famine in instinct in them. So if you provide food... Where, however you're serving it, they're going to eat it as fast as possible. And one of the things we used to talk about at the zoo is that the act of tearing meat and muscle from bones off of carcasses, that's sort of nature's bloat yeah. prevention. Right. It slowed them down, actually. Yeah. So when, that's why natural feeding becomes important. You need that flat, broad surface so the dog has to work at picking up every piece and licking and going into the the um, ridges you have to slow that down because instinctively that's what they're going to do we've been selling a lot of beef knuckle bones to your point it's mm -hmm. just watching dogs like i could i say this all the time. i could watch mozzie chew on that thing for like 20 minutes it's, it's fascinating but him just like trying to get all the sinew and the and the muscle meat and the um the tissue uh right. ligaments everything like it's so you're right like it, i mean he'll he could he could chew on that thing for 24 hours and still not have everything right. off of there but and you know what here i don't know if your listeners are interested or not but many of the zoos actually offer an experience to see carcass feeding and if you're really interested in understanding how they ate in the wild seeing them eat off of these carcasses really gives you an idea of why the bull can't deliver on that same experience that sounds fascinating and my birthday's coming up so hopefully someone <laughs> oh gives gosh. me a, a front row ticket to that <laughs> 
Get ready, Danielle. Yeah. Just a one front row ticket to see these wolves. At least eat. he's telling me what he wants. Yeah. I don't have to guess. So we used to have we used to have gray or uh, timber wolves at the Columbus Zoo. Now they have Mexican uh, Mexican wolves at the zoo. Okay. Which we and always African go and see. painted dogs as well. Yeah. They are fascinating to watch, and they do. They do it at the Lincoln Park Zoo, and a, a lot of the zoos do do it now, so people can better understand what these animals are all about. Yeah, that sounds, I mean, that's right up my alley. We don't have uh, painted dogs at the Columbus Zoo. That would be fascinating, too. Something else I want to touch on, too, I think that's really important that when I when I talk to people in this shop, is kind of like an aha moment, but... Yeah, when you I always tell like tell people like if you had to eat like cereal out of a bowl without a spoon, you'd have to put your face into it, right? <laughs> you know, and you right. wouldn't see anything that's around you. Um, it just completely right. blocks out your three sixty view. And when we're talking about you know the dog, I mean, how many dogs is that leading to? You know, blocking their view. Like how many dogs is that leading to? You know, aggression or anxiety aggression uh what's the other one bull dumping i think was another one um just yeah. all these different issues um just because we're blocking out their their peripherals you know i'm glad you brought that up because um this and and we're actually uh delivering you a new piece on this talking about one of the worst places you could feed your dog is in the corner of a kitchen and the reason for that is you're asking your dog to put their head into a hole, which is the blow, uh, bowl, and that already blocks their peripheral vision. But then if they're in a corner, the walls block the peripheral vision as well. And then their hearing, which is their yes. second most powerful sense, is hearing all these noises that we can't hear because they hear at much higher and lower frequencies than we do. And they can hear at a greater distance between five to eight miles away. So they hear all this noise in the back. Their vision is blocked, which increases anxiety, which increases them wanting to eat faster. But for some dogs, this becomes a terrifying experience so that develops into finicky eating or food dumping where they relocate the food elsewhere. So where you feed them and how you feed them come together, the best thing to do is to take the feeder in the center so they, they can circle. Circling among wolves and even dogs, if you've noticed that behavior before, is a way that they can control their environment and make sure nobody's taking their food away. If you inhibit them from doing so, it's going to increase anxiety as well. Mozzie circles his platter, which okay. is, I think yep. it's really interesting to watch him do it, just working from all the different angles. Foxy, we have to like clear. It's interesting. This is a really interesting point because like with the kids, we have two young kids and they're always just screaming and yelling and, you know, doing all kids stuff. And so it really puts her on edge. Like I can't imagine her trying to eat out of a bowl, not, not being able to see the kids running at her. You know what I mean? At least she has right. like a, a warning on the flat surface where it's interesting because she used to be a really picky eater, but now, you know, since we, since we've transitioned to the platter, it, she just has, she's way more comfortable. You can, you can tell. Well, and I think this brings up an important point from what you said Dogs have an incredible sensory circuit that's designed for survival. Their sense of smell, they have 100 million uh, sense sites versus our 6 million. They also smell in 3D, so their noses are constantly yes. monitoring. Then you have their hearing, and also dogs have... Um, 14 muscles in their ears where they can rotate it so they can get better understanding of what the sound is and where it's coming from. And then with their eyesight, they also detect motion better. And so feeding from a bowl, there's food that's falling and making noise. 
it all comes together to create that anxiety, fast eating, and food aggression. Interesting point because dogs, it, you look at their kind of their physiology, like their eyes are set in the, the front of their heads, like like most carnivores and most predators, you know. So they don't have these, you know, their eyes on on aren't on the side of their heads like deer or uh, horses, things like that, you know, that can are more prey animals and and can see, you know, if things are coming at them. You know, dogs don't have that because they're the predator, and so yeah, being able to clear out as much peripheral as you can, and then the scent thing. What I really like too is, is with the platter, like I can put, you know, I can put, you know, maybe they're, if I'm feeding like answers, pet food, I can put that in one corner. I can put some kefir in another corner, maybe some green juju, you know, sometimes I'll blend it all in. Sometimes I'll kind of let them have their preference. If I put like it, especially if I put like a chicken foot or a a duck neck, like I kind of make a charcuterie board. Is that how you pronounce it? Yeah. Yeah. I kind of like that. Smorgasbord. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. Um, You know, where it, I can allow them to have their presence, which is really kind of cool um, to see what their right. preferences are, but allow them to right. use their scent too, you know, and figure it out, which is really fascinating. Well, and dogs smell in 3D, just like, That's you know, crazy. our eyes bring the two different visions together. They smell in 3D. And so respecting that nose mm-hmm. is absolutely critical And that's why I always recommend to people, when you're trying to slow your dog down, don't have things that are projecting into their nose and face. Yes. It's like when you try to go up to a dog and touch their nose, they'll immediately pull back. Mm -hmm. They have to protect that. And the reason for that is they have mucus glands on the inside, which have to stay moist. For them to be able to smell. So if you have um, a slow type feeder that's poking into their nose, it swells, but it also dries out and it inhibits them from smelling. And that goes into aggressive behavior then. So as a psychologist, I always say, you want to make sure how you're feeding your pet develops a positive relationship with food, not a negative relationship with food. Do that by respecting their nose and not having anything project into it. Like I've even seen videos of the spiral slow feeder. So I think I used to believe that that was just like the, there, there's some slow feeders that have like literal tentacles that come out and like, <laughs> go up the dog's nose essentially, but even the spiral ones are still, you know, hitting your dog in the nose while they're trying to get food. I think you've seen, you you showed videos of this too, but there's a lot of dogs that will just walk away. Like they're like, this is too painful for me. I'm not, it's not even worth it. Right. And, and the other thing um, that I'd like to point out is whenever you are feed, whatever you're feeding from, I know pet parents like to slow feeding down, but you should never have anything where the dog cannot get to the food. Because of the the power of their nose, they are able to smell a teaspoon of sugar in an Olympic-sized swim pool. That's how powerful it is. So if you have any sort of mat-type thing where food is getting caught in the cracks and the dog can't get to it, that leads to compulsive licking, which actually leads to a negative relationship, but also um, sort of aggressive behavior as well because they're programmed to get to the food for survival, but they can't get to it. Right. So bear in mind these instincts going on in your dog, and if you ever see compulsive behavior going on where it's highly repetitive and fast, you know something's going on and and you you shouldn't let your dog have that. Your dog or cat is a member of your family. You want the very best for each and every member of your family, and that extends right down to the food that they eat. In order to give your pets the very best, you need to feed them a complete and balanced diet like Northwest Naturals. For over 30 years, Northwest Naturals has been manufacturing the highest quality raw frozen pet foods in Portland, Oregon. 
Their ingredients suppliers are carefully chosen for their dedication to quality and safety practices and sustainable farming activities. They combine all those healthy ingredients, adding natural vitamins and minerals to provide the very best nutrition for your cat or dog. Their recipes follow recommendations from the American Federation of Feed Control Officials, or AFCO, so that each is complete and balanced. In order to keep their products free from bad bacteria and pathogens like salmonella, E. coli, and listeria, they use high-pressure processing, or HPP. HPP is extremely safe and has been used extensively in the human food industry for many years. Northwest Naturals is able to keep prices down and overhead costs low since they produce all of their products from beginning to end. For you, the pet owner, Northwest Naturals comes in convenient packaging, easy to open, easy to store, and easy to thaw and serve to your pets. Quality ingredients, food safety, and the highest standards for manufacturing practices are what make Northwest Naturals the best complete and balanced raw food for your pet. Find out more in our podcast show notes. One more thing I wanted to talk about the bull too, and um, I think it's important because I noticed a big difference with my dogs, is the stance, like the rigid stance they have when they're feeding out of a, eating out of a bowl rather than just like a flat surface or the, the pet platter. Um, no, I'm so, I'm so glad you brought that up. Uh, that's one of the first things that I really noticed out of all my observational data is that when wolf and wild cats are eating carcasses, they eat over it, pulling mm-hmm. food up and the whole position of the dog's stance changes eating from a bowl because they're using the lower jaw to scoop. Mm-hmm. So instead of their necks being curved, they bend and it, and that's why there's a tendency for food to get caught into their, in their throats and to cause regurgitation and choking. It's just a much more relaxed stance. Like they just look more natural. Like it's a hard thing to, I guess, envision. But if you if you looked at it like from a side to side, you see it. It's pretty clear. And the the other thing, and I'm sure a lot of your listeners know this, is dogs don't have, <clears throat> excuse me, dogs don't have amylase in their saliva. Digestion starts in the stomach. So if they're taking in large amounts of food. It, the digestive enzyme isn't there to start breaking it down. So when that food comes into the stomach and plops in there, you can get what is called food bloat. It's, just, it's not GDV, but because a large volume of food and air is sitting in there, it causes stomach distress. That's the importance. Watch how fast and the pace and volume with which your uh, pet is eating That's why we recommend spreading food all over the pet platter, including the surfaces, divots, everything, and let your dog engage and interact with it. Interaction is good for them. Are are they having a meaningful interaction with their, with their bowl or with their, not with their bowl, but with their, with their food, you know, I think is a really important thing. Cause if you watch your dogs eat off these platters, you notice like it's, there's a lot of interaction going on. You know, a lot of positive interaction. And as a matter of fact, before we came here, we're, you know, I fed the dogs and I just left it. Like we kind of, I just made their platters real quick and set it down and like left, but he's probably still licking that thing. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> like, you know, I smear it on there and I'll put some goat milk and it's, it's really interesting because he uses, he uses a lot of his, like his incisors, but also his tongue. Um, so it's almost, it's also too, like a giant licky mat, which is awesome because you know obviously the the whole motion of licking for them or the whole practice of licking actually releases endorphins to calm them down so it's a great i mean it's just where it's like where do you stop with this thing there's a lot of great characteristics about it well and that's that's one thing i'd like to highlight people oftentimes ask why do you have the scoops in there yeah and in all actuality those are supposed to represent the end of bones But the important thing is they go downward. They don't project up. But more importantly, you can see they're smooth. So while the dog has to lick in these different areas to get the food, they can get to the food. And that's the important thing. And that, that causes positive licking versus negative licking, which is just highly repetitive, to try to get to the food that they can't get to. 
So the, the smoothness, even the ridge going around the pet platter, the pet's tongue does fit in there and they are able to pick up that food. I kind of wanted to talk too just about the general design of it because there's a lot of cool aspects of the platter. But like, I don't, I don't know where to start. I mean, I'm talking about from the from the divots that you're just talking about to the moat to the, even the temperature of the platter, like all of that kind of plays into it. Actually, uh, we tested out a lot of different sizes um, and we knew that we had to have something after, after studying circling behavior with wolves. It had to be large enough for them to be able to curl their bodies around so they have that sense of control. So that's why we got the actual shape of the platter. The ridge going round is the way of substituting for pulling meat from the bone, having to dig in something a little bit more and the sides representing sort of the, the edges, the shape of the bone as gotcha. well. Okay. It, and the um, material, we use um, cellulose fiber, which comes from uh, tree pulp which is uh, the most naturally occurring organic molecule, but it's got a bit warmer temperature than artificial um, things such as plastics or, or metals have. So um, it, it's just everything we did tried to imitate as close as we could how they ate in the wild, get even going down to the material, trying to get something that was new to them and had a completely different feel and smell. So it is designed to be a natural feeding territory. One of the things I remember too about the presentation was just how passionate you were about where that was sourced, like where the, the cellulose was sourced from and how you know you did everything you could to keep it produced here in the United States just to ensure that there's no toxicity. And it is such a hard thing to find. Like I finding even a stainless steel bowl that's, you know, made here in the States that's non-toxic is extremely difficult. And, you know, all these platter or all these other, you know, slow feeders or bowls that we're feeding our pets out of are 100% toxic, you know? So it's like, that's almost reason alone to use the platter. But yeah. You know what, Anthony, yeah. you brought up such an important point. And when we took this journey on, we said we're not going to come out with it unless it 100% benefits the health and well-being of our pets. Mm-hmm. And um, we are 100% USA manufactured sourcing material, everything. Um, my manufacturing facility is in Wisconsin. They are my second family. Yeah. <laughs> And everybody there uses the pet platter as well. And this is almost like a complete family orientation. The people we've met along the way are phenomenal. And uh, given the fact what really drove us to look for over a year and we're continually evolving the pet platter material-wise, uh, we found out that the cancer rate among dogs and cats are literally doubling every year. Yes. Yep. And it's not only from what we feed, but it's also how we feed. And one of the things that I do want everybody to understand is we do independent lab testing third party uh, for food safety to prove to our customers that this is 100% safe and you never have to worry about anything leaching from this product. Um, and we stand behind it. And um, I, I know that it would be <laughs> more cost efficient to do elsewhere, sure. but we are 100% USA always will be sourced and manufactured. And that is our commitment to all the pet parents and our retailers. Yeah. I remember when you talking about it and not really knowing that how hard it was at the time until opening fangs and fur, I really had no idea how hard it was to source us made bowls, platters, like even just like water bowls is the last, my last kind of my mission I was on. I think there's like one company out there that's doing it one or two, but that's it. 
Like all the, all these people are paying like, you know, $80 for a stainless steel bowl and thinking that it's American made, but they're all made in China um, or made in foreign countries. Right. You know, without, without and all I, the restrictions and, 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 and you really do want non-porous and you want independent lab testing for, for food safety because that sure. way you can make sure nothing is leaching from the food receptacle or water receptacle. Because when you think about it, our dog's uh, face and tongue is in that multiple times during the day. Right. Every day. Yeah. Exactly. So uh, it's up to us to be the screeners for, for them to help them with that. Yeah, I think it's a really important point because I think our pets are exposed to so many different toxins, most of that we don't even know of. Um, you know, when we come to candles or chemical cleaners we're using, year-round flea and tick meds, all, all these things are really just weighing heavy on their, their liver and their endocrine system and their kidneys, everything. So doing what we can to limit that is, I think, just especially – that is just such an easy way to do it because they're using this every day, you know? So that's one thing, one major right. factor that you can take out um, that I think could have a huge impact. Yeah, but they're non-porous. They're also, they're also, I don't know if you mentioned this. I don't think you did, but they're dishwasher safe too, which is. Yes. And that, that was, that was really hard to find. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> I mean, put, putting all of this together, but yeah, you never have to worry. And I think you said you've already been using yours for several years. Um, yeah. We've been using ours since um, we began the business and still use that same mm-hmm. platter. So, but part of that is to help um, also with raw feeding because I know when we talk to customers, uh, a key concern is about, you know, bacteria, sure. you know, things spreading. And so the notion that you can just pop it in the dishwasher and it's clean and you don't have to worry, it helps promote better and better feeding. Yeah. We, we should probably put ours in the dishwasher more often. I usually just (laughs) spray it with hot water, (laughs) leave it outside, let the sun kind of hit down on it. But yeah, they're incredibly durable. We've had, like I said, we haven't changed ours either for two years, two and a half years. Yeah. But that's a really common question we get in the shop too. And I think people really like to hear that this is, it's non-porous, you know, which is really important. So it's not collecting all these, this bacteria and that it's dishwasher safe, you know, so they can easily, if they're really concerned about the bacteria, they can easily just clean it off, pop it in the, in a dishwasher. If you're feeding dry food on this platter too, you're not absolved from contamination, <laughs> clearly just from the, right. uh, you know, I think 98% of the recalls that come from, from dry pet food. So for a multitude of reasons, for salmonella, E. coli, listeria, aflatoxins, glyphosate, all, all sorts of things. So uh, just a little reminder that whether you're feeding kibble or whether you're feeding raw, like definitely, definitely just want to be cleaning your surfaces. So something else that's really cool well, with that question, we also get people always ask like, can I dog, like give me kisses or like... <laughs> It, can they lick me after eating their food? I'm like, yeah, of course. And that's because they have they have a lot of antibacterial properties in their mouth. So you were kind of talking like they don't have amylase and enzyme that breaks down carbohydrates in their mouth, but they do have some really cool properties that are characteristic of carnivores like like lysozymes that will actually are antibacterial. They actually attach to pathogenic, the walls of like pathogenic bacteria and disable them. So yeah, my dog's been giving me kisses for years. I've never gotten sick. <laughs> Well, and, you know, when you study wolves more and more um, during the winter months, they would definitely take leftovers from carcasses and bury them Mm -hmm. um, because if they were without food for a long period of time, they would go back to that food. And while we would get sick eating it, they have a highly acidic stomach. Yes. So most of the bacteria that they're exposed to doesn't phase them at all. So there's a big difference between our digestion and their digestions and the foods we can eat. Yes, 100%. I think their pHs can get as low as one, which ours, I think, gets as low as two at, at best. Looking at like the whole picture, how do we create like the, the complete like natural feeding experience? Well, first and foremost, you want to make sure that you have a broad area to feed off of. 
uh, it's important that a wolf or uh, that a dog or a cat feels that they have control over it and never feed in a corner or up against a wall so they can circle because that really does reduce the anxiety. Remember, that sensory circuit is always operating, so you want to eliminate any potential issue that they see in terms of perceived threat or, or, or their food being taken away. The other thing is you want to try to resemble a carcass as much as possible by spreading food across, but also having different pockets of protein and um, different varieties of food. Let them sniff out and explore. Let them make the choice because even in the more formal studies that have been done, uh, looking at both how uh, wolves and dogs, do they have food preferences, they will always go for the hardcore meat over everything, even tofu. Okay. Yes, <laughs> there you was one um, study that used tofu, and it was like, no, I'll wait to get to the meat. So they do search for their nutritional needs on that. Which is interesting um, because I think the the tofu actually had higher concentrations of protein, so it kind of showed that they're not so much so much interested in that as they are to their preference of meat. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Um, the other thing is you never want to have anything blocking the, their peripheral vision at all. Okay. Okay. And for, if you have a finicky eating dog, most times than not, it's due to them feeling anxiety about when and how, how you're feeding them and where you're feeding them. So sort of assess is it is there too much noise going on and I'm am I blocking their ability to protect their food is it a high traffic area can they get to the food all of those things play in but when you use the platter there there was a lovely woman that I met at at uh, the dogs naturally uh, summit the raw natural summit uh-huh. that I met you at um, and she said my dog has to be hand-fed. There yeah. is no way he will ever eat out of anything else. And so uh-huh. I said, okay, I am giving you this platter. You don't even have to yeah. pay for it. I'm <laughs> challenging you. So she said, challenge on. So the next day she came back and she said, my dog ate off the platter. <laughs> yeah, Aww. I believe it. 100%. Yeah. I mean, because our... Our dog, one of our, one of our dogs is super finicky with anything that's happening around her. She's super, like she used to not eat, like she could go days before without eating. And now it's every now and then she doesn't. And it's more cause just gut issues. But I mean, she eats almost every yeah. single day now, you know, it's just, just by changing uh, up the way we feed. It's, it's pretty yeah. awesome. So I, I, yeah, yeah. It makes sense to me. It, it's fun. But um, the other thing is make sure that um, you do promote more licking. And uh, with the pet platter, you can fill the scoops with food and liquids, pop it in the freezer, and it makes little cones. I was going to ask you And this. the dog loves to lick that, nice. and it's both relaxing and rewarding. So part, part of the natural feeding experience is them controlling, them being able to explore, sniff out, hunt on there, but also the licking provides that relaxed environment where there is utter enjoyment and they can taste their food as well. While taste is not their strongest um, sense, it nonetheless does exist. And just like with us, the more we taste our food, the less we want in terms of volume. But if you're spending all of that good money on raw food and they're inhaling it, they're not getting the enjoyment out of it. Which is important. Absolutely. Absolutely. So um, that's sort of the the feeding dynamic on all of this. And uh, what we tried to do was to take those elements of the carcass 
and make sure that the platter replicates those instinctive feeding behaviors. And we address all of the instincts, but more importantly, we're also addressing their sensory circuit to make sure everything is tapped down for a healthier eating experience. And I'd also want to say, don't hover. I have a lot of customers that hover over their pets, especially when trying out a new food or transitioning to raw. That can cause some more anxiety. The pet's kind of looking at them like, "What are you? why are you standing there watching me? Yeah, because so, you're going to take my food away. <laughs> yeah, you, yeah, exactly. And you're cutting off peripherals. Like, you know, just just pack away. Just yep. let them do their thing. There's so many benefits to to the platter. I kind of wanted to... I kind of wanted to end by just going over them. <laughs> I want to make sure we didn't forget anything. So we talked about um, it, how the platter in- encourages foraging. So like it encourages them to use their instincts, right? So they're they're hunting and, and foraging instincts and going around the platter, circling the platter, like finding different things, finding their preferences, which is just fascinating to watch. Once you once you see it, it's really neat to see. We talked about the little scoops and how they the the divots in there that really promote licking and the large surface area that helps slow them down, which is probably the number one need. I think people are looking for a different, you know, feeder is it's to slow them down. And it's why, I mean, the platter is great because it's not, I think you, you said this in your presentation too, but like, you know, the, the slow feeders are literally you're hitting your dog in the face. Like if you're trying to eat and someone just constantly hitting you in the nose, like, would you, you wouldn't want that either, you know? So everything's exactly. And I tell people, you know, the way that you're feeding your dog, ask yourself, would I want to be fed like that? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, imagine trying to eat like with like, you know, obviously not using your hands and trying to eat out of a, a slow feeder, like with tentacles or all these other gizmos and gadgets they have now. It's It also improves digestion. Yes. Yeah. Um, it actually reduces gas burping and regurgitation. And I can attest to that. Like I have seen that on so many different dogs now. It's, I don't even know how many, but it has corrected that in a lot of dogs that we, a lot of customers we have in the shop. Overcomes food aggression. Um, And one thing I didn't talk about is that the pet platter resembles the, a feeding territory and the dog and cat will bond with that feeding territory. And the reason why we use different colors is if you have multiple dogs, the color that you first feed a dog on, they adopt that as their personal feeding territory and they will not go over and try to take food from another dog's feeding territory. So we use colors that they can actually see and differentiate because dogs have a very limited color spectrum they see um, yellows and blues, and then the reds are often seen as grayish or brownish. Okay. And if, if you're outside that color spectrum, your dog really can't see that color. And so if, if you buy a new toy and the dog isn't into it, part of it may be because you can't really see it. It's so sad yeah. to think about. <laughs> I mean, it shouldn't it's, be, but it, it is kind of. Yeah. So um, you, if you have two different dogs, you, should you use the same color on those dogs like every day? That is the better thing to do, especially if you have food stealing or food aggression between dogs. I know yep. a lot of people have contacted us. They have to feed their dogs in separate rooms. Yeah. And with this, you, you no longer have to do that. Okay? We feed our dogs in the same room. No issues. Good. Um, <laughs> yep. Yep. Um, another benefit, it stops food transfer to another location. Remember, if your pet is relocating their food, where you're feeding them or how you're feeding them, probably the combination is causing high anxiety. And so they're going to a place where they have better control and less anxiety over that area. So they're communicating with us all the time. We just have to pay attention to what they're trying to say to us. So if they move something off of, out of their bowl or off the platter into somewhere else, should we move? Should you try to move to that location to feed them? I would definitely consider that. Okay. Yeah. It's right. I've never heard of um, a dog taking um, food off the platter because usually they, they can position themselves 
in a way where they have control. Right. But if, if they're really blocked in somewhere or it's really noisy, yeah, they're, they're going to be relocating that food all the time. Yeah. I mean, maybe with the exception of the couch, you should look to <laughs> yeah. other places. Yeah. Gosh, what else is there? Um, well, we talked about the, the warm to the touch. So it kind of invites the, the licking mm-hmm. habit, um, which is awesome. Um, it increases their involvement. They're much more involved. Uh, feeding takes a lot longer. I have a lot of people who said they went from a minute and a half to 10 to 15 minutes. Wow. And I think what's really important is it also stimulates their thinking. When, When you serve from a bowl and it's piled high, and you refer to that that video that I showed of the dog eating out of the bowl. Uh-huh. It's just inhaling the food. Yep. There's no thinking. There's no fulfillment. Nothing. It's, it's rote behavior. And what's so sad about this, and this is an area that I'm working on now, is happiness for our pets. We have taken their whole feeding, their whole feeding ecology and took the bowl and are using the bowl because it's a convenience for us. But when you think about it, they spent their life in the wild 95% of their time foraging, exploring, hunting, deconstructing carcasses. So they are programmed as hunters. And if you want to do one thing to bring happiness to your pet, give them what they treasure most, which is their ability to feed naturally. It's who they are. It's so true. I think that's my favorite thing about the platter is that just how engaging it is. To your point about, you know, wild canids and wolves, if you talk to any wolf biologist um, or follow any of those counts like I do, you'll see that the happiest they are is when they're eating. It's supposed to be like the happiest times in their lives is when they're actually eating a good meal. Um, so we're kind of taking that away from them by feeding out of a bowl, but by giving them that experience, I mean, it can really, um, it can really change your dog behaviorally. Well, and I think, it, I think what's so interesting is people somehow think if my pet gets excited while I'm preparing their meal, mm-hmm. that's a good thing. Yeah. Let them have that moment because eating is an emotional state for them. They get excited. There's anticipation. It's what makes them who they are. And when you watch them deconstructing carcasses in the wild, you see those same behaviors occurring. We sell, actually, I think I sent you a video of this, but we sell uh, like dehydrated quail, like the full prey quail. And Mozzie just completely dissected one like on the platter. And it was fascinating, just him dissecting it and then eating his favorite parts first and kind of just slowly, <laughs> I guess this sounds weird to most people, but just him slowly dissecting it and going for every part and like just kind of figuring out like what his preferences were. And it was just so, like you could tell he was so engaged um, and so like he was he was thinking hard about what he was doing, you know. Um, right. And, off, and Anthony, also, that so is excited. One of my favorite videos. <laughs> Good. You know, you send a video like that to someone, and you're not sure what the response will be. <laughs> Either terrified or or equally enthusiastic. I don't know. I know. But my husband like used to say when we were at parties, "Don't talk about deconstructing carcasses." Okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, when you walk into the shop, it's we have a big table of just animal parts. Um, so it either can go, it can go one of two ways for most people. They're really fascinated or they're really turned off by it. So, yeah, I think, you know, in conclusion, I think, you know, kind of where we started off in the beginning of this is, is celebrating that, that inner wolf in your dog, let your dog be a dog, not forcing them to eat out of a, you know, a, a receptacle that's kind of holding their food hostage. Um, you know, and that was built out of really our convenience, just like kibble, you know, both these things are built out of convenience and, and not, aren't really doing our dogs much, uh, much good as far as health and, and their well-being. Yeah, I think for me, like this whole conversation has been so fascinating. I can totally now like understand Anthony why he talked. I don't know how long that car ride was, but a lot of yeah. it was about you and your presentation and just hearing it live. 
you know, I can only relate it to like my experience with food. Like Anthony knows this, like I love going out to eat. I love dinner parties and having people come together because food, I just think it brings such a great experience with people that you care about. So like kind of like the big aha for me was, you know, it's such an impersonal thing when you're just scooping this dry food in this bowl and then throwing it in the corner, you know, like, and and how many dogs experience that. So hopefully I, I know that there's going to be a lot of people that are like, wow, like when you really think about it, like they should have that joy. They should have that happiness, that experience. Well, and the interesting thing, Danielle, is that we've had a lot of people contact us saying that it's helped them bond with their dog more because they're more engaged in the eating, in the uh, food preparation process now. And like Anthony was referring to the charcuterie board, people are using it as such, but they feel closer to their pet and they get enjoyment by creating these recipes and trying new foods. So it's not only good for the pet, but the pet parent is more involved now, which I think is a great benefit. And I can attest to that. I sometimes forget that that brings so much joy to Anthony and I'll like, you know, get distracted and let the kids go in. He's like, no, like this is my time with the Mozzie and Foxy right now. It's a bonding time. It really is. enjoy it. Yeah. You know, the dogs just sit there very, you know, as patiently as they possibly can. Mozzie will kind of whimper because he's, you know, can't wait for it. He starts at Um, 7 a.m. I mean, he just, yeah, he just stares at me (laughs) until it's ready to go. But yeah, it's such a, just a positive experience for them Mm -hmm. um and it's it's also really easy to use we didn't really talk about that it is i mean we're so easy we talk about it being a bonding experience and a preparation everything and people do make some really pretty platters you know if you go to instagram they make some really cool ones it's not you don't have to do that every single day even if you're feeding dry food you know just putting a dry food with some water or bone broth or goat milk on top the platter is like a beautiful way to do that you know that's still going to give them a lot of stimulation that way yeah, it works just as well for kibble. Yeah. And I would say, you know, it's, kibble is hard because when it's piled in a bowl, it's just easy to gulp that down quickly. So you can even see more enjoyment with kibble on the pet platter because it's the, the pet is more engaged. Mm-hmm. They're more involved mm-hmm. in it. They have to work at it. So it's tapping into those instincts, which is like, wow, this is kind of fun. <laughs> yeah, you could you could possibly argue that it's even more important if you are feeding a, a dry food, you know what I mean? Just to yeah. at least make sure they're getting some stimulation out of eating. And also, you know, those pellets are really hard for them to digest. So, you know, slowing them down while they're eating those is really important. For over 30 years, Northwest Naturals has been manufacturing the highest quality raw frozen pet foods in Portland, Oregon. In order to give your pets the very best, you need to feed them a complete and balanced diet like Northwest Naturals. Northwest Naturals comes in convenient packaging Easy to open, easy to store, and easy to thaw and serve to your pets. Find out more in our podcast show notes. Well, we do have one customer question. Um, I would love, Carol, if you can weigh in. You actually already have, but I think it's a really important people like having that exposure to, to hearing this and maybe they didn't, you know, grab this in, in the episode. Should we feed in one place or different places? It's not a matter, I don't think, if feeding at different places, it's where you're feeding them from. Make sure that they have control good periphery vision, and there's not a lot of activity because just remember that sensory circuit that's engaged. So that would be my, my key recommendation. It's important, obviously, not to say, serve the same food all the time because food monotony kicks in, Mm -hmm. but in terms of location, it can be the sort of the same area, but if that area changes to become higher traffic or noisier or something's now blocking them, make sure they have access to their feeding territory. We didn't talk about food monotony, but it's important because it's, it's so essentially when animals are fed the same thing over and over, over again, there's just no stimulation, which um, can lead to poor nutrition and refusal to eat. And you, and you know what, well, we have the zoos struggle with that as well. Mm-hmm. 
their diets are constructed to make sure that there's variety in their menus because the zoo animals will stop eating if you're serving the same thing over and over again. Interesting. So it's a real phenomena and any little thing you can do, you obviously want to change proteins up, but different flavors, goat smells, bone broth, you know, just adding little bits and pieces here. Just remember they see the world through their nose, entertain that nose, make it want to get more information and you are delivering a wonderful benefit to your pet. So sometimes like when the weather turns and it's getting nice outside, I like to bring the feed, the platters out there and let them, you know, it's a quiet mm-hmm. day. It's outside. The weather's nice. I'm like, well, they seem to enjoy it. Absolutely. Yeah. You can take the platter anywhere with you. Yeah. It's been in the mountains. It's been in the snow. That's it's true. Been I've had everywhere. it. <laughs> I've had it in quite a few different states now. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah. And thank you so much. And I have to say, I know a lot of pet parents are feeling the same way. Thank you for bringing education to all of us. We are a community that are working to benefit our pets, and you guys being an educational resource for us is very important. So thank you for all of your efforts as well. Thanks, Carol. We're we're doing our best. And I think it's it's also really, I don't know, motivating that there's there's so many passionate Mm -hmm. pet parents out there now, like a new generation, I want to say, of pet parents that really want to do the want to do the best they can for their pets so that's great to see and we're all in this together and we're making a better world each and every day i love it also one thing that we had uh we we didn't touch on because we were talking about so many different things about the mind pet platter we didn't we we didn't mention the fact that the mind pet platter is a legacy of love so um carol's husband actually had passed away shortly after the platter was designed. Um, so he never really was able to see how uh, successful the product has been and how many dogs it's it's helped out in cats too. But he was, you know, super passionate about dogs and it meant so much to him to be able to create the, that pet platter. You know, it was a four-year development process and, and their goal was obviously to 100% benefit the health and well-being of our pets. And I would say that that was a huge success. They successfully did that. And it's too bad he wasn't here to see the results. Just wanted to let that be known. The views and opinions on this podcast should not be used as an alternative to veterinary advice. We always encourage you to seek the professional advice of your vet. Before starting a raw diet, we encourage you to ask lots of questions, do your research, and speak with a qualified vet and or canine feline nutritionist.